Tennessee. And it wasn't uncommon to see billboards or church signs that warned me to be ready because Jesus was coming. And often they were tinged with this be ready or else kind of tone to them. The or else being or else you're going to hell. And sometimes they'd have these not very subtle um, flames or smoke kind of going on in the background of the sign. And maybe you got a little bit of that kind of vibe from this morning's gospel. After all, that image of bridesmaids banging on the door of the wedding feast saying, Lord, Lord, open to us, and the bridegroom replying, I do not know you. It's stark. The tone of this reading is serious, but I don't think that it's ominous. In this story of wise and foolish bridesmaids, there's hope for each of us to keep our lamps lit by ensuring that we have enough oil as we wait for Jesus, who's the bridegroom for all of us. But before we go any further, I think it's important to remember that parables are not predictions that can be decoded to tell the future. There is symbolism and allegory, metaphor and parables, but it, at the end of the day, they do what they say. They tell us what the kingdom of heaven is like, not what the kingdom of heaven is in its fullness, and they don't tell us when or how God's kingdom is going to fully come. It's also helpful to note, I think, that this parable is sandwiched between two others. When Jesus told parables, he usually told more than one at a time. And this little kind of trio and grouping of parables, they all have this very adventy feel to them because they center on waiting. And we're not quite in the Advent season here in the church yet. That's going to start in early December. But we start to get this sense of waiting for someone to arrive in this series of readings for the next few Sundays that close out our liturgical year. So right before this, in Matthew 24, we hear a contrast between other faithful and wise people. This time it's faithful and wise slaves. The faithful slave is at work when the master returns, while the foolish one, the self-indulgent slave, has been taking advantage while the master's been away. And in his absence has been mistreating others, and then is surprised when the master shows up. And then immediately following this one about the bridesmaids, there's another story about a master who entrusts his property to his slaves and expects them to diligently invest it. We're going to hear that story next Sunday. But what's key, I think, in both of these parables that surround the bridesmaids one that we hear today is that what really matters is what the people do while the master is away. That's when we see their real faithfulness or their lack thereof made most clear, what they're doing when the master isn't there, when He's not present when he's not watching. All right, thanks for bearing with me on that. Let's dive into the parable we have today. It's inviting us to join ten bridesmaids as they wait for the bridegroom to arrive. Well, I don't know about you, but first century wedding customs are not my forte. But thanks to the research of others, here's what I've learned. In Jesus' day, the wedding ceremony would usually take place at the home of the bride's family. But the feast, the banquet, it would take place at the home of the groom's family. And that feast, it would usually start at night, and it would last for days. 
And when it was time for the feast to begin, the groom would go get the bride, and together they would walk to the banquet with the bridesmaids. And the bridesmaids, are they actually have a function. They're not just there to be kind of decorative or look beautiful. They have a job. Their job is to hold the lamps. They're traveling at night. We don't have street lights, no electricity, of course. So they have a real function. They're lighting the way for this couple to safely get to the feast, get through the dark. But in this parable, only half of the bridesmaids have enough oil to complete the task. All ten of them brought their lamp, but only five brought an extra flask of oil. They were prepared just in case there was some kind of delay. This parable is helping, I think, elicit in us, the hearers, what everybody who's ever been a scout or is the parent of a scout knows, that motto of be prepared. We can think about Jesus trying to give those first disciples an awareness that his work as the Messiah, it was underway, but it would not be fully complete until some time. So they were going to have to continue to be prepared and to wait. When we hear this in 2023, though, there's not really a surprise in the delay of Jesus's return. It's been two millennia, and we've kind of grown accustomed to his absence. Now, this isn't to diminish in any way the ways that we encounter Christ in others and in the world around us. That is so vital and I think life-saving and sustaining. But Christ's second coming, the end of time as we know it, it has not yet come. And it can be hard to stay in touch with the spirit of hopeful, expectant waiting for Christ's return when it's often cast by more extreme members of our Christian tradition as something in which to live in fear of, like kind of be ready or else. But Christ's second coming is part of what we believe too. We mention it in the Nicene Creed, and a little later we're going to proclaim the mystery of faith during the Eucharistic prayer when we say Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. But we often don't have much kind of connection with those words, I think. I've struggled with that, too. It can be hard to see why Christ coming again matters in the everydayness of living, of Christian living. But I think this parable is reminding us that being ready and being prepared actually is part of our call as people of faith, and specifically as followers of Jesus. And for one, it reminds us that when that day does come, it will be a joyous one. That's when the wedding feast begins. Scripture gives us various glimpses of what that might be like. They range from the visions in Isaiah to the description we heard in 1 Thessalonians today about the dead rising and being with Christ, all the way through the book of Revelation. Here's a little piece of one of those descriptions that's from Revelation 21. He will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear.